Welcome to SpotCast, your single point of contact podcast for the service management and support industry brought to you by HDI, where service management and support professionals belong. Smarter service, better business, HDI. On the web at thinkhdi.com. I'm your host for SpotCast, Roy Atkinson. Episode 16 of SpotCast is an interview with Jeff Toyster. Jeff is the author of three customer service books, including Getting Service Right, Overcoming the Hidden Obstacles to Outstanding Customer Service. More than 140,000 people on six continents have taken one of his training programs on LinkedIn, also known as lynda.com. Jeff is a member of ICMI's Top 50 Contact Center Thought Leaders on Twitter and a Global Guru's Top 30 Worldwide Customer Service Professional. Feedspot has named his Inside Customer Service blog as one of the top 50 customer service blogs on the planet. Jeff is passionate about training and is a certified professional in learning and performance. Jeff, the subtitle of your latest book is Overcoming the Hidden Obstacles to Outstanding Customer Service. What are some of those obstacles and why are they important? Well, first, Roy, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, just appreciate being a, a, a guest on your podcast and getting a chance to speak with you is always fun. To answer your question, I want to start with why are they important? And the genesis is really that we're always trying to get our employees to perform at a higher level. Yet I know one of the top challenges for most customer service leaders and, and particularly in a support environment is how do I do that? Sometimes I see people performing beautifully and other times I'm scratching my head. Why are they doing this? I know they can do better. So I, I really wanted to uncover some of those reasons. So some examples of, of hidden obstacles. One is attention. We know we need to pay careful attention to our customers to understand what they need and to serve them. But it turns out that it's really hard to pay attention. So as an example, we have a built-in instinct that shuts off our listening as soon as we hear a story that sounds a lot like that same story that we've heard a thousand times before. So you think about your most experienced analyst, they, they hear somebody sharing a story and they instantly, instinctively stop listening because they think they know what the person's about to say. And many times they're right, but a few times they're not, and that creates a, a service failure. Another example is, is emotion. In service, the emotion is really what drives how someone thinks about their experience. And in a support environment, the number one emotion we're trying to create for our end users or our customers is relief. I had some sort of issue and now I feel relief that it's taken care of. But the way that we manage and, and even train people is through transactions. We have a troubleshooting procedure. We have a ticketing system. We have uh, maybe a CRM system that I need to log the information everything becomes really transactional and we drive the emotion out of it. I, I once had a support agent say to me, you know, I get six minutes to solve this issue. Uh, I don't have time to try to make them feel better. I just have to tell them what to do. Now, I, I'll give you one more. Another one that comes to mind is, is the metrics that we use to manage our, our service desk. So common one would be uh, service level agreements or SLAs. And if I feel pressure that I have to close so many tickets per hour or close tickets within a certain amount of time, I might take some shortcuts because that's what my boss is watching. But those shortcuts create problems in other areas. But for example, one that a lot of us are familiar with is, you know, we close the ticket before the issue is resolved. And now the end user's got to open up another ticket 
to continue getting that resolution, well, my SLA looks fantastic, but my customers are upset. So those are just a few of the hidden obstacles that we can see that would plague the, the service desk environment. In my opinion, so many of those things are driven by metrics inappropriately applied or uh, where the unintended consequences were not foreseen. And as you know very well, metrics drive behavior and, and you're going to get what you measure. And uh, so we have to be, as support leaders, we have to be very careful about what we ask people to do. That's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the troubling trends, I think, is, you know, now we have uh, an increasing array of software that gives our employees real-time dashboards. So this is how many tickets you've closed. This is your average compared to the team. This is, our, you know, this is where you are on the leaderboard. This is how many you have in queue. This is how you did yesterday. And you're looking at this dashboard and whether or not the intention is there, it drives behavior. And a lot of times when we put these productivity stats in front of people, what happens is they start unconsciously working faster. You know, I, I work with a support team where they were generating their their average queue time was getting up to an hour because they had some pretty bad support issues. But half of that queue time, 30 minutes was related to them going too fast through contacts and not looking for that next issue avoidance. And they were able to change just a few behaviors to spend more time with each person and not focus on the queue. And they cut their their average queue from an hour to, to 30 minutes. Still not good. Absolutely. But they were generating half of, of, of that volume. Whenever I talk to any group, I, I ask what qualities are important for customer service. Empathy always bubbles to the top of the list. Why is it so important, do you think? And can it also be counterproductive in customer service interactions? You know, I was thinking about empathy the other day because I think a lot of people get confused about what is empathy and what isn't. So I, I want to start there. Empathy is, is the ability to understand what the other person is feeling. So you ask, you know, can it be counterproductive? I don't like to use absolutes and say no. But what I'll say is I don't see any situation where it's counterproductive. If I understand what you're feeling, I can probably serve you better almost every time. Where it gets perhaps misunderstood, it, it gets confused with sympathy, which is why I, I agree with how you feel. And, and I, I think you're absolutely right to feel that way. And that can be counterproductive because we know that you know, sometimes customers do things that to hurt themselves and, and or they make poor decisions or they just do dumb things. And you know, we don't want to tell them that. We want to help them be right. Uh, but if a, a customer is really angry about something and, and we start sympathizing with them, uh, then we might be making it harder to actually help them. So that might be where it's counterproductive. Now, why is empathy important? Let's go back to what, what it is. It's understanding the customer, what's the customer's going through. And, and when you can empathize with someone, that almost always leads to different and usually better decisions. So I'll give you a quick example. I, I was going to run a, a webinar one day and, and about 30 minutes before the webinar starts, this is a, a client who's paying me to run this webinar. I, I log in, I try to get everything set up and it's not working. So now I need help from support. And so I was able to contact support and, and I was able to get things working. So that was my 
issue from a technical standpoint. But here's where empathy made the difference. The, the person who's supporting me, she understood that what I was really nervous about was my client webinar, not fixing the issue, but what the issue stood for. The issue was a barrier to me having a successful webinar, keeping my client happy. So she did something I'll never forget. She said, I know you've got an important webinar coming up. I'm going to stay on the line with you just until it starts to make sure everything goes smoothly. And if something does go wrong again, I'll be right here to help you. Well, if she had a, a you know average handle time metric and, and she wasn't allowed to to spend you know any more than X with me on the phone, she never would have done that. But the fact that she stuck it with me uh, kept me using a bad product that I didn't really like that much for another year. So I, I'm not naming them on purpose. I, I subsequently stopped using them a year later, but I was ready to quit that day. And that level of empathy kept me going for one more year. I have a story of a friend who was organizing an event, an industry event, and was looking for a venue for that event and was basically going around and talking to people who ran hotels and conference rooms, et cetera, et cetera. And two of the hotels were basically identical. There's no difference. The price was just about the same. The facilities were just about the same quality and size and convenient location, etc. One of the two venues invited her to have a cup of coffee while she was talking to them. And that cup of coffee made the difference between getting the event and not getting the event. So these small things like staying on the line those extra few minutes, are they really can be huge in terms of how the customer feels and, and how the customer continues to, to work through their day. Absolutely. That's a great story, Roy. You'd think a cup of coffee wouldn't be a big deal, but I imagine what it represented, the, the willingness to take just an extra moment to make a connection, to listen a little bit, to understand, made all the difference, even though, as you say, both venues checked all the boxes from a technical standpoint. Yep. Uh, Jeff, multitasking is considered a must for a lot of customer service roles. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How does it work? What's what's wrong with it? And should it be around? I'm sorry. What I was doing something else. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm exactly, kidding. Exactly. Exactly. I'm focused on you. Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot there, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's a bad thing, and it, it's hard to stop. So the reason it's a bad thing, when we're multitasking, the, the best analogy I can give you that I think would make sense to, to most of your audience is, is our, our brains function a little bit like a, a computer with a, a single core processor that we can really only handle one task at a time. Now, we might be able to get a lot of tasks through there very quickly in rapid succession, but we can only focus our, our full attention, our conscious attention on one thing at a time. So when we talk about multitasking, a lot of times what we really mean is something called split tasking. I'm rapidly diverting my attention back and forth between multiple things. So it's like if you're trying to drive and you're texting somebody at the same time, I think we've all had that experience. It doesn't work very well. It's unsafe and and you end up writing really bad texts. The challenge, though, I think in the, the service environment is that we create multitasking in an effort to to fill people's available time and and make them as productive as possible. 
And so we've we've created this this multitasking monster where you know we have people respond to emails or tickets in between phone calls, for example, or you know we make people kind of jump through you know five to even ten different software programs to serve somebody, and they're rapidly going back and forth. Maybe I have a process running in the background to solve one case while I'm trying to talk directly to somebody else to fix a different ticket. Um, and, and I'm thinking about both at the same time. All of those are more likely to create more errors and to actually make us less productive. So how do we stop it? And I think that's this is the toughest part. We're kind of naturally wired to enjoy multitasking or at least do it. It's hard to stop multitasking. When you see your, your service desk analyst take a break, what do they do? They get their phone out and they start talking to people and texting and going on social media. And like they're doing all of those things all at once. So we like multitasking. The, the two things that I see help, one is awareness. If you help people become aware of um, multitasking and how it degrades their performance, that's really helpful. And there, there's different exercises you can do. One example, if your listeners want to check this out, is called a Stroop test, S-T-R-O-O-P. Just, just search online for Stroop test and try it out. It's a fun activity that shows you how hard it is to multitask. So that's one example, just generating awareness. The second thing you can do about it is create an environment that's less conducive to multitasking. So, you know, earlier I mentioned you know, we have teams that are, are handling f uh, emails in between phone calls. Well, I've, I've done an experiment with, with several groups where we, we create completely separate queues. And if you're on the phone, you're on the phone. That's all you do. And if you're handling, let's say, tickets that are coming in via email or web form, then that's all you do. And what's, what's really fascinating by doing that experiment, people feel less busy and in effect they are, but they actually get more work done and they do it at a higher quality level than when they're trying to bounce back and forth between both. So that, that'd be an example of creating a work environment that's less conducive to multitasking. I find that uh, one of the hardest things that I have to do in my role, because I cover very, you know, several aspects of the things that we do at HDI is to switch from one to the other. So I get it. It's not the rapid fire kind of multitasking that people try to do on a service desk, but it's shifting from concentrating on one area that we're focused on to another area that is totally unrelated. <laughs> I have to stop and let my brain adjust to the new thing. And that's the kind of thing you're talking about in a, in a micro way when we're trying to shift among multiple tasks at the same time. It is. And there, there's a byproduct of that. So you, you, I think the way you described it is, is, is very interesting in that after a while, if we've been doing that too much, our brain starts feeling fatigue. And this fatigue, psychologists have, have described the symptoms of this as being almost identical to attention deficit disorder. It's not the same thing, but the symptoms present themselves the same way. So we have a challenge with focusing and concentration, with completing things, with, with impulse control. And all of those symptoms are really bad for a support environment. So we wear out our ability to really focus and pay attention. And something I uncovered recently, and, and I invite your listeners to do this experiment uh, in their own service desk, I've seen in a service desk environment that service quality degrades after lunch when people are usually at their most tired 
uh, during the day. And if you look at your tickets and compare it, you know, when did the ticket come in? Uh, not really come in. When did it get first answered versus what is your customer satisfaction by time of day? And you will find there's often a dip in the afternoon when people get really fatigued. And there's no other factor other than that mental fatigue that's causing that dip in satisfaction. You talk a little bit about the systems that exist within organizations. I mean, every organization has multiple systems. And you, and you talked a, bit, a little bit before about you know switching between different software types or software tools that people have to use, switching among systems. And sometimes those organizational systems become broken. What are some of the ways to fix them? Because we don't want to catch people while they're doing service. We don't want to catch either the customer or the representative in the middle of a broken system. So how, how do we keep that going and how do we fix it? I, I think the, the answer to that question is understanding why systems get broken in the first place. And if you understand what leads to broken systems... Uh, you can either prevent them or you, you understand the solution. So I'll, I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, one, and, and I don't know, that, I'm sure boy, there's a technical term for this, where um, we start adding multiple systems to handle different problems. Um, it, it's, I think maybe, is it, is it technical debt? Is that the, the Te- correct? Yeah, technical debt. You put a system in. And then you build another system to kind of aid that system, and then you build another one to aid that system, and without ever updating or upgrading the original one, so you wind up supporting a legacy of multiple things. That's it. Okay. So, uh, and, and thank you for thank you for that uh, that phone a friend. So that's one one great example where if we look at how companies budget these types of uh, investments. They're usually in a, a capital expenditure budget. And once I spend that money, I want to get a return on that investment, even if some sort of new technology or a new workflow presents itself where that system's no longer ideal. So just the way companies budget uh, these systems, um, they often are more willing to just kind of piecemeal it. And the challenge is we don't have a we know how much I'm we're spending on these different systems, but we don't have a real good handle on how many problems having these multiple hodgepodge systems are creating. So better accounting is kind of one one solution to that that problem is being able to uh, quantify the financial impact of having these multiple systems. Another example is just growth. So as a company grows, you have one, maybe an in-house system you're using to support your, your end users, your customers. And then as you grow, you need something different. You know, I worked with a support team where the person who handled the most tickets was the, the boss. And, and, and that's great if you have a two-person support team, fine. But if you have 10 or 20 or, or 30, that, that's no good at all. But the, the boss wasn't able to be the boss because she was mired in the trenches with these really, you know, outdated systems, outdated in terms of just not designed for the kind of volume that they're getting. And I'll give you another one. Uh, sometimes a corporate policy or or approach is designed to solve one problem and then it creates another. So a, a good example of that would be agile, where you know, especially in a software company, uh, for those of your, I think many of your listeners might be familiar with this, but kind of the brief primer is. You know, we're, we're not going to wait until we're perfect. We're, we're going to release an update to the software that's an iterative improvement. And then we're going to kind of keep working on those those iterations. Well, there's a lot of productivity to be gained with that. 
But what happens from a, a support standpoint is I'm constantly updating software that's creating disruptions in workflow for my end users. And if there's a change, I'm also constantly asking my end users to relearn how to do things. And all of those generate, in some cases, a massive amount of unwanted and unnecessary support volume. And so that agile policy seemed like it was a good way to get things done faster, yet the back ends, we, we create a, a lot more problems than we had before. So understanding you know, what, what is causing these systems to be broken in the first place is often the key to finding out a way to fix them. And if you folks are listening to this, uh, if you want to read more about that particular issue, I would recommend listening to the podcast featuring Patty Blackstaff. That is exactly the type of organizational issue that she describes very well and helps to try to solve. So that Patty Blackstaff, B-L-A-C-K-S-T-A-F-F-E, she's a wonderful resource for that type of information. Thanks, Jeff. What role does employee engagement play in all of this? I mean, there's a lot of noise out there about employee engagement, how important it is. How, do, how does it directly play into attaining good customer service record? And how, how do you make employees or can you make employees feel more engaged or be more engaged, I think, is really the more important question. So I, I want to first ask you, Roy, and, and I want to ask your listeners to think of their answer to the same question. What is employee engagement? In my uh, estimation, employee engagement means uh, being focused on the work uh, and as opposed to some of the tasks that we have. I'm, I'm talking about doing the work that we have to do and being uh, finding some enjoyment and fulfillment in the work. Uh, being engaged with the organization as it goes forward, understanding its mission, and s serving the organization and the customers as, in the best way possible. So while your listeners were, were hearing your response, I imagine they had something come to mind. And one of our biggest challenges is that what they thought of and what you thought of were probably similar, but also different. And one of our biggest challenges with engagement is we don't have a consistent and concise definition that we all agree on. And so my first piece of advice is, you know, for a service desk is define what engagement means to you. And, and there's a bunch of different definitions that you can pick, but just make sure internally you agree. My favorite definition is, is comprised of two elements. So an engaged employee understands what makes the organization successful. So they know what the strategy is or they know what the goals are, they know the big picture, the, the work as you described. And the second is they're committed to helping achieve that success. And, and if you have those two things, in many organizations, uh, we could stop at understanding what makes the organization successful because people are focused on the next ticket or the next transaction. They don't really know what the big picture is. So we, we fix en engagement first by making sure everybody understands the big picture. But the second part is that commitment. You know, a lot of, I think the typical analyst wants to be helpful. The, the people that I talk to certainly do, by far. They want to be helpful. The challenge is they don't always know how to be helpful because they don't know 
you know, if there's a big picture there, they, they don't know how their role contributes to that big picture. Or if they do, they perceive that there are insurmountable obstacles that stand in the way of being helpful. So the example, I'll give, I know I, I, I shared this earlier, but we'll come back to the analyst who is required on every single phone call to say or ask, is there anything else I can help you with today? Well, that is an engagement killer. That kills commitment because when I feel like I'm stuck between a, a rock and a hard place, having to say this goofy sentence with every single person, then I feel like that's an obstacle to making some of my customers happy. And so I, I think one of the things that you can do as a, as a support leader is make sure your analysts clearly understand the big picture. What, what are we trying to achieve? And then the way to secure their commitment is to ask them, enroll them. Ask them, okay, this is where we're trying to go. This is our vision. How can you get there? And what support do you need from me? And if you have that kind of open dialogue, I think you're going to see a lot more engagement than you're probably getting now. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, that supports something that I've always uh, said, which is ask the people who do the work. You know, ask them, how can I help you? Ask them, what, what's getting in your way? Ask them, how can I get you more involved? And that is incredibly important in the roles that we have in our organizations. Well, thank you ever so very much for being with us and uh, talking a, a little bit about your book and, and all of these elements of service. And I really appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me, Roy. It's always been fun. Thank you for listening. For more about HDI, visit us on the web at thinkhdi.com and see Support World for great content, including writing by Jeff Toyster. I'm Roy Atkinson, your host for Spotcast. Until next time, take care.